You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to More to Be Said, a podcast from Kingsway Christian Church, where we're taking questions that maybe you have about God, about faith, about religion, and just trying to make them real. And so I have with me today my friend, Brett Siebold. Do you want to say hi, Brett? Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really glad to have you with us. Brett is finishing up his PhD in apologetics from Liberty University. Apologetics is kind of like reasons to believe, reasons for the faith, making an argument for the faith. And uh, Brett's working on his dissertation right now to get his PhD. And today we're going to be talking about these two critical questions. First, does God care about me in my life and how can I no. Okay. So before we get to that, we'll get to that in just a moment. Brett, when I met you in Bible college, uh, you paused and went off to Germany and then came back and then later actually went to Germany. And how long were you in Germany? About a decade total. Wow. And what, what did you do while you were over there? Uh, we worked with a, a small church plant, uh, did a lot of youth ministry, evangelism, uh, worship leading, teaching. And um, then we also, the last three years, worked with a campus ministry known as the Studentenmission Deutschland. It's equivalent of like an intervarsity student fellowship in in Germany. And hearing you speak German, when I say sauerkraut, it sounds very American. You say it so excellently. Sauerkraut. Yeah, see? See, it makes me hungry. So uh, here's my question for you related to Germany. What do you miss the most about German culture? Well, there's so many things. Friends, uh, for sure. Uh, Germans, aren't known for having uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of friends, but when you make friends with a German, they they are your friend for life. Um, I also miss their coffee. Um, their their coffee off the shelf. It was just it's just so much better than ours. What I do hate, they do different? Can you describe? I, it, it? I I don't know for sure. I've heard things like they they just uh, they grind the beans differently. They they use the water differently. They cook it differently. I'm not sure, but it's just so strong and so smooth. There's no bitterness to it, and it, and it but it's it's great and it's just the cheap coffee off the off the shelf um and their bread i mean they're i cannot explain to you how delicious their uh, their their um breakfast rolls are um when you cut them open and make an open-faced sandwich with some um, sandwich meat and cheese on there the, the bread is just they make it fresh every day you can just go to a local baker and we took full advantage of that so we have friends here at our church and uh, they have the same bread and however that works you take the dough there's something from it and you keep it going generation after generation, and it's been around for like yeah ever. it's been passed around is that what you found oh, over yeah. there's lots of the- oh yeah the the germans are so precise and um in and, and they just take such care and pride in their products. Um, they, I mean, everything they make is just, it's great. So do you drive a German car? N- no, I can't afford to drive a German <laughs> car. Um, but, uh, but they do make some nice cars for sure. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into our questions today. Anybody out there who's American only car drivers, we mean no offense. So <laughs> Brent, today we're going to jump in with our question. Does God care about me in my life? And how, do, how can I know? Oh, such a great question. We talked in the first uh, podcast about uh, how, how can we know. Just just two, two quick um, seconds to that. Um, when we talk about knowledge and knowing something, uh, sometimes we think, how can I know something with absolute certainty? I, I like to push back and say, you know, we can know things 
that we don't know with absolute certainty. I, I know my wife loves me because we've been married, faithfully married for going on 21 years. And, and she's, she's been there and uh, cared for me and encouraged me. And so I know that from, from experience, but I don't, I don't know it omnisciently without, without a, a shadow of a doubt. I don't see every angle or, or, or nook and cranny of that, but I experience it. So, but, but I, I answer that with that in mind. How can how can we know that God cares about us, cares about our lives? Well, I say this, because if the story of Scripture is true, then everything within it points to God's desire to be with us for all eternity. The whole story of Scripture, all 66 books, all written over 1,500 years, is telling this story of God coming back to us after we've turned our backs on him. And that's not a story that just one author can make up, yeah. one human author. I mean, you, you read scripture, we zoom in on a particular context and we see, well, you know, we might say, well, this is why Paul is saying this and this is why John's saying this or why this is why Moses is saying this. But when you zoom out, you know, get the view from 30,000 feet, you, you, you get to appreciate the whole grand narrative and what God is doing. And so I think we need to be able to zoom in, know the context, know what's going on in there, but also zoom out and see the larger biblical context. And that tells us God is on a mission for centuries to win us back to him. Okay, so let's go back for a second. Let's imagine for a moment that our listener doesn't necessarily know that story. You and I know that story. So when you say that uh, the scriptures reveal, I didn't write down exactly how you said it, but they, they reveal down that even though um, I betrayed God, uh, he still pursues me. What, yeah. what do you even mean? What are you even talking about? I betrayed God. How did I betray God? When did I ever do that? Well, I, I mean, there are key highlighted points in scripture that, you know, if you've, I mean, Matt, you've read the Bible for, for several years now. Um, and so you, you sort of, we all sort of gravitate to those right at the beginning. We're, we're told that we as humans have turned our, our backs on him. And now, now I know if you're, if you're, if this is new to you, you might say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. That's just a fairy tale that somebody made up. Here's the thing. That story really helps to make a lot of sense of what we still experience today. Now I believe it. I believe it's historically true, but I believe it yeah. also and primarily because it makes so much sense of what I see right now around me. Um, there's something, there's something beautifully perfect about this world but also slightly tilted, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely does. So I just, and I think we could do this at 30 seconds. So the, the Bible begins with a book called Genesis. Genesis means what, beginnings. In or, the beginning. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. And so what we learn is God creates mankind, but the idea is he created humans. Yeah. He created Adam, then he created Eve. He put him in a garden, right? Yeah. And he created two trees. And then with those two trees came a choice. The tree mm -hmm. of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. life. This is what Brett's saying. Look, I get this sounds fantastical. I get this yeah. sounds like a great allegory or story. Whatever you do with it, it explains a lot. Because when Adam and Eve, first Eve ate of the tree, she wasn't supposed to. God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, trust me. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know everything. You need to trust yeah. me. We talked a little bit about that in the yeah. last podcast. And then she gave the fruit to Adam and he ate. And because of that, that was the first what we call rebellion, turning right. against God, correct? Yes. But then what did God do as a result of that? I think that's what you're beginning to get to. Yeah. It, and this is going to set the whole story in, in motion um, where, where God, you know, he does say, yes, when, when you 
do this, you're going to die. But he doesn't say you're going to die immediately. And God doesn't give up on humanity. And so as we we've, we follow down through the years, he begins calling people and prophets and, and giving them messages. Like he calls Abraham to trust him and go to a new land. And he's going to start this great nation. And, and, and his lineage is going to go all the way down to, to Jesus, uh, the, the Messiah and Redeemer. He sets up this law. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Old Testament. And and this is so important. I think a lot of people who are new to the Bible um, struggle with this. I know I struggled with this at first. Why do we have all these rules in the Old Testament? I love how Paul simplifies it in the New Testament. He says, look, that is there to teach you about mm-hmm. sin. Yeah, That is there to tell you uh, you've done wrong. And so I've, our leader at Con- uh, Contact Mission, you know, I've, st- I've studied apologetics and stuff. Some of the most profound things I've, I've learned from are, are from people who haven't studied a lot and they stuck with me. Rob Harris is our leader. He hasn't done uh, tons of degrees or, or whatnot uh, at Contact Mission, our, our, our missions network that, that K-Paul is a part of. He, But he's, I remember learning this from him in Germany when I was an intern. He said, if, if I had to summarize the Old Testament in two things, it, it would be this. Sin is bad and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Sin is bad. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so that whole motion in the Old Testament points us towards a need for God to save us. Wow. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Brett, you're, you're, you're painting this picture that even though each generation keeps sinning, maybe we should stop here before I explain further. What is sin? Like when you use the word sin, we hear it in culture. We see people standing on soapboxes downtown and screaming at everybody and Jesus is going to condemn them. They're all going to hell. He's going to return. It's going to be terrible because of sin, 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 sin. What is sin? Well, there are lots of different uh, ways to describe it. Analogies. Some, some will say it's like missing the mark. You know, you're, you're aiming for a target with your bow and arrow and you miss it. Um, Or it's, it's falling short. Uh, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, falling short of God's glory, not living as he intended us to. And, um, and, 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 and it's a rebellion um, mm. against God, um, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But you either, if you can think of, imagine an, a rebellion that you're not aware of, but, you know, if that's all you've ever been taught. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's, it's, not, it's not living as God wants us to. Ah. Okay, so knowingly or unknowingly, are you saying that I'm held accountable to both? Oh, wow. <laughs> Great question. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I wrestle, I wrestle with this a lot. Um, I think the scriptures uh, teach that we are held ultimately accountable to both. But I, in Christ, uh, I think we have a forgiveness that covers all of our, our sins. And, and um, oh, that's, such a, that's such a deep and profound question. And we trust, we, we trust him to forgive us of the things that we might not be aware of us. And, and, and so or we've, we're not aware that we've done. And so we, I find myself praying often, God, show me if I've done anything wrong. Like sound like David in the old yes. Testament, uh, you know, if there's any un, unknown sin in me, show it to me, but, but forgive me of the things that I'm not aware of. Um, because that's just so important. I think David says something like, uh, test my anxious thoughts and reveal yes. any wickedness in yeah. any wicked way or something like that yeah. in me, depending on your translation. And the whole idea is like, I don't even know. I, I think we even see this in Paul, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, maybe. And he's saying, look, my, my conscience is clear. 
But honestly, my conscience might be wrong. Like my barometer of right or wrong here might be wrong. And regardless, I trust that God's grace is sufficient for me, right? That's the the ultimate conclusion he comes to. That that, that has to be the revelation. So then God's grace then is part of the answer for how can I know that God cares about me? So coming back to where you were taking us, we rebelled, but instead of God either abandoning us or destroying us, you mentioned um, Adam and Eve, you mentioned Abraham, but you know, there's also one story in between there, the story of the flood that even once evil on the earth had escalated so greatly on the earth that God, it says actually grieved that he made mankind instead yes. of destroying, completely wiping us off the face of the earth, just destroying all the creation, starting over. He still left a family behind and yes. said, I'm going to start over with them. And you're saying this at least is the foundation we stand on today for how God cares about me. Yes. Am I understanding you? Yeah, the grace there. And I think it, to just to back up to Adam and Eve real quickly, you see, I think you see that same grace in, in he's, yes, you're going to die, but not, not right away. I'm not giving up on you completely. I've oh. still got a plan here. Right. It's, it's same with, with the flood. Um, I, I'm going to judge, but there's a way out. I'm mm-hmm. not giving up on you completely. And so this theme, we might call it a messianic theme, a theme that sort of uh, finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ yeah. as, as the ultimate savior of the world, the one who we're, uh, about whom is written, mm-hmm. he bore all our sins and iniquities. Mm-hmm. In fact, that, mm-hmm. that prophecy, prophecy is given some uh, traditionally believe 700 years prior to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah. And and he does uh, come to do that. Okay. So here I am. I'm uh, Joe Schmo, whatever, sitting in our community. I'm listening to this podcast and I'm going, great that God did that for Noah. Great that God did that for Abraham. Great that God did that for Adam. But you don't know what I've done. How am I supposed to believe when, you know, my kids are rebelling against me? I've lost my job. My wife just got diagnosed with cancer and it looks like God is not present. It looks like he doesn't care. And I'm honestly wondering, has he just given up on me? I mean, is he even out there? Is he even listening? It feels like my prayers are going up to the ceiling, bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back to me. How can I know? That's such, such a great question, Matt. And we all, we all face this. And I, I don't think there's one pat answer. That's the problem. What we're talking about here is is known as uh, the the problem of theodicy. How do I reconcile God's goodness with His justice? How do I reconcile His goodness, His justice, also also with the fact that there's evil, pain, and suffering in the world? But something that we've just mentioned, the rebellion against God that we see in Scripture, if that's true. If that really happens, there has to be evidence of brokenness and rebellion in the world. And so if I'm sitting there, just as you've described, Matt, um, you know, maybe maybe just got a bad health diagnosis or family struggling, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can, I can trust God. Again, this is this evil around me, this struggle that I'm facing. How do I interpret that? Yes, it's it, it's frustrating. It's existentially uh, and experientially frustrating. But on a but at the same time, it's actually evidence that the narrative of Scripture is true. And so, if I can, perhaps, and this just might be one way, take find the courage to say, okay, I'm I'm feeling frustrated about this, but I really want to find out: is there an answer to this? Can I hold on through the pain? And take a chance and find out and look and see, is this story of scripture true? Is God 
in the midst of all this pain and suffering, doing something else mm. that is that is the, not just a, the game changer. And when you say game changer, it might be the thing that makes me start asking a different set of questions to yes. look a different direction. Coming from a different angle. Yeah. Like, like, like I just mentioned, instead of the pain and suffering only being something that I experience, can it also be evidence that the word of God is true? Okay, now wait a minute, because you just made me think about something profound for a second here, Brett. Um, in that regard, then, could it be that pain and suffering in and of itself isn't necessarily evil the way that we understand evil? Wow, you really caught me flat-footed there, Matt. That's a, <laughs> yeah, uh, say that again. So we tend to think of uh, evil as anything that makes my life hurt. Yes. So is it possible that maybe not everything that makes my life hurt in and of itself is evil? Yeah, great. Now, I, now I am, I'm tracking with you. Yeah, um, now I might not be able to get to the bookends of why I'm here in the suffering, how I got here, but it very often is the case that, and, and Christians, lots of Christians speak about this, there's sort of a there's sort of a a disciple making or a a growing process that goes w with suffering, mm. and so we gain a sort of a, a I don't want to say a higher level, but a new knowledge of our faith for having gone through a trial. Yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I, I, it makes me think of the Israelites. If you go back and study the Exodus, and I taught on this a, a handful or so years ago, but if you go back to the Exodus story and you just look on a map, God took them out of Israel and he was leading them to the promised land. There's actually about it. And I think if I'm saying this right, I'm doing this out of memory, about a 15 day journey along the sea. If they literally go up along the Northern part, they have to go through Philistine territory, but they're going to travel right along the, I think it's the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. It would have been a beautiful jaunt along the ocean, ocean views, nice, mm -hmm. cool. Right. Wind coming in, but instead God takes him down south through the Sinai <laughs> Desert, which is very rocky. Now it still wasn't going to be forty years, which is what it became. But we'll get to that. But the reason, and it says in the scriptures, the reason he didn't do that is because he knew if they had gone through Philistine territory, which is what would have happened, and they had faced a battle, they might have turned back to Egypt. So instead of taking them the easy route, that might have come up with a hard moment that made them quit, he took them through the the roundabout, harder route in order to grow them, teach them, lead them. That's good. I don't know if that makes any sense. So yeah. could it be that the pain you're experiencing isn't necessarily evil, but is an opportunity? And, and it may be painful, it may be terrible, but it's an opportunity. Right, an opportunity. And, and when we're faced with the problem of pain and suffering, we might, instead of saying, it can only be this, it can only be that God is unfair, we might want to counter it with questions just like that. Isn't it possible that God is, is doing something else? Isn't God that, isn't it possible that God is, is growing or is this me or it's an opportunity? Put all of our options on the table, recognizing that we don't have omniscience. We don't know everything. However, um, the door of faith is still open. I'll give you an example. Now, this isn't necessarily pertaining to the problem of pain and suffering, but a similar question that I've often heard asked is why is God so silent? Mm. I, I cry out to him. I pray. I don't, I don't hear him. And it's hard when you hear other Christians saying, Oh, God answered my prayers and uh, you know, this, and, and I believe, I believe those stories as well. Why, you know, why doesn't God answer in, on every occasion in the same uh, 
way, shape, or form. Well, I like this passage in Hebrews chapter 1, just the first two verses. Um, This is really profound. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways. So God has spoken in the past in many different ways. God is not limited to just one way to speak, okay? And then in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. And so the idea is maybe God is silent sometimes because he wants us to listen to what he's already revealed and spoken to us in Jesus. I'm not going to give you, I'm just imagining here. I'm just putting options on the table. It's a thought experiment. It's a thought experiment. God's not going to necessarily give me a specific answer to my, my prayer or my cry because I'm maybe I'm looking in the wrong place or maybe I'm looking for the wrong answer when he wants me to focus on, on Jesus, who is, the climax of the whole story, the, the the culmination, the reason for scripture. And if I'm not mistaken, we, we kind of want to go in that direction too. Um, you had mentioned beforehand, maybe let's bring up the idea of the incarnation and, 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 and how this whole Old Testament story comes down to God uh, with us, Emmanuel. Yeah. Let me, let me tell a quick story and, sure. I'll, and I'll take us there. This is a handful or so years ago. I was going through a very challenging time in my life, in my my in my my what do you call nuclear family, then also in my extended family, and then also here at the church, and um, there was just there was a lot going on. I took a walk one night. I remember help put the kids to bed. Told my wife, I just need to go. I need to go be with God. But I didn't tell anybody the question. My heart was the question. My heart was. And I said this to God. I said, God, how can I possibly know you love me? The amount of things going on in my life. I was laying in bed every night. And just to be totally honest, I think I said this once from the stage, I would close my eyes to lay down at night to go to sleep. I was exhausted. I was worn out. And I would literally see a gun going off next to my head. Mm. Now, I didn't have any suicidal ideations. I wasn't making any plans. I don't even own a gun. It was nothing like that. But that's, that's the depressed state that I was in. And so I'm on this walk with God and I'm literally just saying, God, what in the world, what could I possibly point to that would make me believe for one moment that you love me? Things hurt so bad. I didn't have an answer. So part of what I hear you saying before we get into just specifically the Jesus question, part of what I hear you saying is what if God was allowing that hurt to teach us or grow us or reveal something to us? Well, if I have faith, that sounds like a great answer. But if I don't have faith, that just sounds to me like circular reasoning, right? Like, okay, so great. So if I believe in Jesus, then all my problems are just going to go away. No, but you receive a hope that goes beyond the grave. And what does that mean? You get to be one with the God who not only who not only says, I'm going to hear your prayer, who not only says, I care about you and tells us time and time again in the scriptures that I love you, but you get to know the God, God with us, Emmanuel, the, we talk about God in flesh, uh, the incarnate God, who comes down and goes through the most immense suffering that that we can imagine. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about about following Jesus, about Christianity. We don't have a God who's just far off. We have a God who is leading the way through death. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds a little bit morbid, but we're all going there eventually. And let's be real. Do you want in those final moments of your life, do you want a God who 
was just some obscure thought far off? Or do you want one who's already blazed that trail and gone there and conquered it and resurrected uh, from the grave? That's, so, that's who I'm putting my trust in. What I hear you saying then is when we look at Jesus, we see a God. I don't mean a God as in there's a many, many gods, but you know, we're, we're asking the question on behalf of, right. Are there many gods and why, right. why pick Jesus? So coming from that vantage point, mm-hmm. we're believing in a God who didn't just stand far off and say, I see you suffering. You can trust me. It'll be okay. In the end, I'll give you many planets with lots of virgins or whatever it is I might offer you. Right. Instead, I actually say, you know what? I'm going to leave my lofty place. I'm going to leave my mansion in this guy. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to suffer like you suffer. I'm going to die like you die. And you're saying, because he's been through that, he understands something about my experience. Yes. And, and he's, he's conquered it He's gone through it and he's conquered it in such a way that I might, although I might not get the answer right now, I have a hope that the answer is forthcoming and so, that I will get to see that answer one day. So believing in this Jesus may or may not actually lead to the relieving of my pain. No, but I would point this out just for, um, for a thought experiment's sake. If you walk away from Jesus... And this, these claims, we're talking about his divine nature, that he was God in the flesh, about his crucifixion, that he died for those sins that we talked about, mm-hmm. defined earlier, um, the, the, the missing the mark, the falling short, that he was buried and rose from the grave. If you turn your back on him, you don't go find absolute certainty somewhere else. If you turn your back on Jesus because you you want certainty and he doesn't give you that certainty right now. I mean like cognitive certainty, right? You don't go somewhere else and get it. You you. only give up on the best hope that we've ever known in the history of humanity. So something else just dawned on me. Let's say I'm going to use cancer diagnosis. I get a cancer diagnosis of my spouse and I come to God. I get on my knees. All right. I'll believe in Jesus. If you'll heal my wife and my wife doesn't get healed. And so then I go to sign and say, okay, what do you got for me? And they say, well, if you take this chemo and you take this radiation, you do these things, we can get rid of it. Cancer goes away. And I say, you see what, God, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Therefore, I'm not trusting you. I'm still faced with a conundrum. And the conundrum is my wife is still going to die of something. It's just a matter of when and how. So that science may or may not have been able to solve the problem in the short term. But in the long term, the reality is I'm going to be back here again. And do what certainty do I have that beyond that thing, whatever that thing, final thing is. So you're saying the Christian has some certainty that there is something beyond yeah. this thing. I would call it a certitude. Okay. Like a, like a strong confidence. We, we have knowledge of eternity because it's been revealed to us, but I, that doesn't mean I can wrap my mind around all things, heaven and eternity. It's a promise. We know it in part as Paul says, but I believe when, when the, as he writes, when the perfect comes, we will know as we are now known. And so we will see that. We will see that hope fulfilled. Um, Matt, back up a little bit with that example. I wanted to, um, something came to mind. Just kind of retell that example again about the idea. Here I am, I'm a man, right? And I've got a wife and she gets diagnosed with cancer. And I come to God. God, if you will simply heal my wife, I will believe in you. And my wife doesn't get healed. And I go, that's it. And I'm shaking my fist at this guy. So I turn to science and I say, what can you do? And they say, well, maybe if you take chemo, maybe if you take radiation, maybe take these other things, maybe your wife will get better. She takes it. It's terrible. There's lots of suffering and pain. But in the end, she gets a little better. And I go, fine, I'm done with you, God. You didn't heal my wife. You made her go through all this other stuff. Something else comes along. It might be five years, might be 10 years, but something else is going to take her. It could be a car accident. It could be a heart attack. It could be a stroke. Something else is going to get it right. going to end up dying. 
Right. Great. That, that helped me find my, relocate my thought. So what we're, what we're dealing with here, Matt, is why doesn't God answer the questions of our hearts, the longings of our hearts, the same way every time mm-hmm. and exactly as I want them? Yeah. And we all, we all face that, both believers and non-believers. Absolutely. Please, non-believing friends out there, do not think that we believers do not go. We struggle with that all the time. We cry out to God all the time. Why? And I think it's even biblical to do so. And we can point you to a book. Oh, yeah. Uh, seriously. Um, I'm drawing a complete name of which prophet I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Uh, Lamentations? Yeah, that well, it? that would definitely be one of them. But the prophet who basically is like, I'm going to stand here and cry out. And you're like, where are you, God? What are you doing? I'm drawing a blank. It's not Job? Hosea. It's not Hosea, but it's one of the minor prophets there. Too. Okay. Anyway, I'll well, think of it when yes. Brett talks. Go and ahead, Brett. <laughs> so we're, we're asking the question, and... I think, why doesn't God answer the, our prayers and our questions exactly as we want him to all the time? And I think we need to sort of to offset this only inevitably leading us to doubt with another thought experiment and, and namely asking the question, what if God did answer our prayers and questions always the same way all the time? Like, for example, Matt, let's say you had that experience and you prayed to God, the God of Scripture, and He did heal your wife in that hypothetical scenario. And and then you came to me and said, Brett, this God, if you pray to Him as I did, it will guarantee you to have your problems. By the way, there is a sect of Christianity that says that today, right? That if you just do, if you just pray these prayers, use these words. Yes, and if it doesn't happen, you didn't believe. What? You didn't yeah, believe. It's, it's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah. Yes. Um, and but I, I think you have. That's. But that's exactly where, where I want to go. That's, exactly. Thank you, right. because if God answered the same way every time in every scenario, we wouldn't really know Him as He is revealing Himself in Scripture. Namely, a personal God who loves us and wants to know us. Rather, we would we would know him as a genie in the lamp. Mm-hmm. We would we would uh, know him as a sugar daddy. We mm-hmm. would go to him and just to get things. And eventually, we would think that we can somehow manipulate him. Ooh. And God is personal. He doesn't want to be put in a box. Now, I'm not saying like I know therefore that God said no to you on this certain date and time. I don't know that. I think there are a plethora of possibilities why God answers some prayers some way and other prayers another way. But the fact is, is we do see multiple evidences of God healing people. But we also see evidence of people in Scripture dying and going to be with God in eternity. That was Mm. their hope. And so we have both of those and everything in between. And so the fact that our experience is similar, um, I'm not a total cessationist. I I believe that people have been healed through prayer. I don't believe that I possess the ability to go up and just cause that, but I believe God does. And so and, real quick for our listeners, a cessationist is uh, a debate raging in Christianity. We won't spend our time on it today, but cessationism says the miraculous gifts, the spiritual gifts we see testified to in the New Testament disappeared within a couple hundred years within Jesus. And so basically right, right after the apostles and their ministers disappeared, a partial cessationist would say, yeah, we do see historically they disappeared. However, we still see the Bible doesn't say they're all gone per se. We still see and hear testimonies of things happening. And so I just so you use yes. the word. I don't want our right. listeners no, to be confused. A, I thank you for that. You're fine. And, uh, and just in case, because I, I guess I would, I might call myself a partial cessationist. I would be there. Yeah. yeah. Cessationist. I believe God can heal people 
he, he hasn't said I, he, he's going to stop doing that completely. Right. Um, a great work is Craig Keener's two volume set mm. on modern day miracles. Oh yeah. He's good. He, have you heard of Craig Keener? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Respect him a lot. He, he has done a vigorous uh, study of modern day miracle claims. Yeah. And we're not talking just um, things that are, um, Oh, I, I experienced this uh, on my, on my walk with God, yeah. not picking on you, Matt, cause you no, talked about your I'll walk with God. That, but go ahead. <laughs> I haven't gotten back to the story. I will. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry about that. But he, but he gets doctor's testimony and eyewitness testimony about, like just, just real quick, one story in that book, it, it blows my mind. There was a kid who had two holes in his heart. I can't remember exactly where it was, maybe Colorado. And they were preparing for a very intense surgery. It was going to be eight hours long. The family, they, they, they looked at it on, on the, um, on the, the imagery the night before. And, uh, the family was gathered in the waiting room for prayer. These were believers. Um, they proceeded with the surgery, opened the kid up and the holes were gone. Wow. They, they were gone. Yeah. And, and this was modern day medical testimony and the doctor had no explanation for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain that other than I believe in a God who can do that. So we just went on vacation a few weeks ago and, um, I'm walking on the beach with my mom and she said, Hey, uh, my mom's had two bouts with breast cancer. She's had a couple of car accidents, left her with concussion issues. Oh, man. She's got all this stuff. And she said, I didn't, I wasn't going to tell you, I wasn't going to tell you on this trip, but uh, my mom and I have a great relationship. And she said, um, the doctors told me right before I left that I have a blood cancer and oh, it's incurable. Man. And I said, holy cow, like what? And she said, I had this, these tests and, um, and there were these markers in my blood and, uh, 95% of the time these blark, bl these markers mean this. When I get back, they want to run all these tests. I said, no, I'm going on vacation at three days. If I got it, I got it. If I don't, I don't. And I was like, oh my goodness. She goes, so there's a 5% chance I don't. Okay. So technically there's a 5% chance we come back. They run a barrage of tests, a barrage of tests. She doesn't have it. Wow. Now we'd spent that entire two, three weeks up to that point, just praying, oh God, we trust you again. Here it is again, whatever it is. And when she asked the doctors, how could you have the certainty of 95% before I left and now have none? And the doctors go, we don't know. I mean, you had your COVID vaccine 30 days ago or so before right. this, maybe that messed with your blood. And she's like, that's it. That's it. And again, I, <laughs> maybe I'm not wow. a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I only know that we've seen the work of God so many times in our life. Right that I go, okay, God, I, someday my mom's going to die. Mm -hmm. And someday I might even pray, God, please take her. Like she's older or whatever, like it's right. time, like, right. But even if I'm praying for him to heal her and he says, no, man, he's been so good to me. Right. But if I'm sitting out there and I'm wrestling with these questions of God, that doesn't necessarily resolve it all for me. Right. No. So I keep hearing you say certainty isn't hundred percent. No questions. Right. Right. So then you keep talking about this relationship. What does that even mean? Well, I think uh, Jesus formulates it best when he takes the heart of the Old Testament and brings it into the New Testament. Okay. Not only does he fulfill that law in dying for our sins to, to take away that, that penalty, that punishment, uh, and, and give us the promise of eternal life, um, he takes the heart of the Old Testament, which is the confession of Israel, the, the known as the Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, that's the Hebrew word right. to hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God. It gives the greatest command. Right with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he combines the other verse with it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Well, if we love the Lord our God, if our relationship with God is a relationship of love and trust and assent and all these things that describe faith, with all these different aspects of our being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, well, guess what? Mind is only a part of that. 
And so I only get to know God if I'm referring to knowing him as, as something cognitive or cerebral with that's only part of who okay. I am. There has to be room for the other aspects. There has to be room for trust. There has to be room for a volitional strength or decision to hang on in spite of my uncertainty. And so it shouldn't surprise us, if the scripture is true, it shouldn't surprise us that we find those opportunities, that room for, I would say, room for doubts. Mm. You know, my, my explanation stops here. I'm at the edge of the cliff and I have to decide, am I going to trust? Am I going to continue seeking or am I going to give up? And at that point, I will just, I just remind us, those of us listening, if you go somewhere else, you do not find absolute certainty. Mm. If you're looking for absolute certainty, I believe the best bet is to hang on to Jesus, trust him. And when he comes back, then we're going to see, we're going to know as we are known. Mm. That's a good word. Before I end there, let me take you to one last thing that I'm thinking about here. The Hebrews, you quoted earlier, Hebrews 1, about Jesus made everything and through him the last revelation has come. So in other words, look at Jesus. That's our answer, right? That same book, I can't remember if it's chapter 10 or 12. I always get those confused. It says, um, God is a good father and he disciplines those he loves. Oh, yeah. I think it's chapter 10. And maybe somebody somebody go read it and see if we're right. (laughs) But what God did on my walk that day. Um, actually <laughs> immaturely on that walk, I asked God for a sign. I said, God, if, if, if you really love me, would you just make it an angel up here, right here? He didn't do that. And, uh, I'm thankful he didn't because part of what happened over the next few years after that was God met me. Yes. He healed my mom. That's not everybody's story, but yes, he healed my mom. He continued to answer every prayer that I threw out there. Not always in the way I wanted, not in the time I wanted. And then he disciplined me. And there were many things in my life, in my heart, pride and and selfishness that God has been carving out of me. Part of what I think about here is sometimes I shake my fist and point my finger at God for my own consequences, for my own decisions and my own choices. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so like, well, God, why are you doing this to me? It's like, well, hey, buddy, you you, you made some of these decisions. <laughs> these aren't on me. I'm a good father who loves you enough to correct and rebuke. So I, to me, that was part of God's answer. And he kept saying, look at the cross. Right. Look at the cross. And may I finish with yeah. one thought? Anything and, you want. Yes. Uh, so... Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Matt. That that was a, a very encouraging uh, story, and I, I I know something about you now, not <laughs> in, with absolute yeah. certainty, but I know something about oh, you yeah. because of your experience. Yes. Uh, and so, the, if, when we talk about knowledge, so we started with with Genesis and, yeah. and the fall or rebellion of man, which causes sin and God's judgment. But that piece. When that's what sort of one bookend of our human yeah. story. The other bookend is the resurrection of Jesus mm-hmm. and that promise of hope of a hope of the only hope that goes beyond the grave. Yeah. And so God does judge us. We see his his truthful, his his strong hand of justice in scripture, but we also see his love, his promise, his redemption, his grace, his mercy, and that's why the resurrection of Jesus is so important and it's so utterly unique. And I say to your original question, does God care about me, my life, and how can I know? I think the best answer 
is, is Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection is, n- number one, it's, it's utterly unique um, of, of a human who claimed to be God, who we know was crucified. We've got multiple uh, ancient witnesses, not both inside and outside of Scripture, saying that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem around, that, uh, around where we date our calendars. Give me an example. Uh, give you an example. Of, have somebody outside. Obviously, the Bible testifies. Yeah, that. I mean, there, we've got eight or nine uh, extra biblical witnesses to, and I'll just rattle off their names. Yep. Um, some of them mention the resurrection, or not the resurrection, but the uh, crucifixion. Some of them mention Christians, but like Suetonius is an, an ancient Roman uh, author. Um, Josephus, Pliny the Younger. There's the Babylonian Talmud is another one. Uh, now my my immediate list off the top of my yeah, head is okay. that's uh, pretty good. There are about eight. There are about yeah. eight or nine of them that will mention Jesus, and a lot of them mention that he was crucified under pilots, um, which who we can date ar- around that time that the Bible, you know, and it's interesting the Bible tells us that right. Pilate was overseeing that. But uh, the the resurrection, if Jesus is God and he comes down and dies for us and rises from the grave and promises that he's coming back, then yes, I might live in this frustrating world. Yes, I face troubles and questions and uncertainties, but I have a promise that goes beyond, guess what? The thing that all of us are going to one day face, namely death. Mm. I don't get to see it all now, but I have something in Jesus. We have something in Jesus and in his resurrection that is utterly unique that no one can take away. And that is the best news ever, namely that it does not all end in death and it does not have to end in death should we choose Jesus. Another thing the book of Hebrews that we've referenced multiple times now says is that every, you know, everybody's got this one fear. It's the universal. Even those you meet who say, "No, I'm ready. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready." We all have this fear because I don't. I've said to my kids often, "I'm not. I'm not afraid to be dead." I don't know what that process is going to look like. Yes. I'm not real excited. I've seen people die. Yeah. I'm not excited about the moments right. leading up to. And yet, my last pastor used to say, "We're not in the land of the living, headed to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying." headed to the land of the living. Excellent. Yes. And again, so my my hope is no matter the greatest pain and suffering I go through here, because of Jesus, as you've been saying this whole time, I can trust that there is more to this life. Yes. And in that moment, Matt, if we go back to the yeah. Shema, loving yeah. God, Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I pray for myself that when my mind starts to question, oh my goodness, mm. here it is. I don't know if I can handle this you know, Mm. that fear that we don't have to fear, but we all, as I hear you admitting, we are afraid of in, in, on some level that, that I will cling to him, Mm. that the other aspects of my being with, with which I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that those other aspects that I will trust in him instead of giving up, uh, just real quick, I think of the late Nabil Qureshi. I don't know if you've heard of him. I've heard the name. Um, he, he was a former Muslim who uh, converted to uh, Christianity uh, dur- through, through deep study, and he, he, was, he became a preacher and an apologist defending the faith uh, in Jesus. He died of stomach cancer just a few years ago as a young man, 37, 38 years old. And I remember seeing, um, he made some bedside uh, testimonies he said you know i'm praying for god to heal me but if i don't i'm gonna trust Mm. and so he wasn't he wasn't leaning on all of his knowledge he was leaning on jesus and his volitional i'm gonna hang i'm gonna cling 
to Jesus because there's nothing better. Right. There, that promise. What else do I have? What else do I have? To to whom shall we go, Lord? Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. He didn't just say it. He John he chapter six. Yeah, John chapter six. But he demonstrated yeah. by uh, rising from the grave. Right. I think that's good enough for now. Next time we come together, we're going to answer a different set of questions. The questions we're going to answer is. Uh, what sets Christianity apart from other religions? What if I lived in another part of the world? Would I would I be drawn to Islam or Buddhism? I mean, like, why, why Christianity? And so, if you're finding this stuff fascinating, keep tuning in. We've got some other podcasts for you to listen to. And I want to thank my friend Brett, who's here today. We'll be back with us. God bless.